Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, January 17th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to try to decide the most anticipated new TV shows of 2019. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Paul. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Writers Y Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, before we get into this, Brad, you were missing yesterday. There was big Ghostbusters news. What? Yes. Did you hear oh Jason Reitman is making Ghostbusters 3? What? Uh, and I know you were sad that you couldn't be on here to, you know, say what you thought. So I'm, I'm giving you a minute right now. Go. Okay. Um, I am cautiously optimistic about this. Uh, I feel like Jason Reitman hasn't necessarily shown that he has the ability to tackle material like this, but I think his comedic sensibilities uh, definitely align with the the more wry, dry humor that made the original Ghostbusters great. And since you know he he grew up around Ghostbusters and his father is Ivan Reitman, I think that gives him at least you know some insight into how to make a movie like this. And you know every every now and then a director has a a style switch and a gear shift, and I, I think this could be an opportunity for him to tap into a different kind of movie, and 
I don't know. I'm just I'm just hopeful that something cool can be done with this franchise. As as a, a diehard Ghostbusters fan, I'm always down for a new Ghostbusters project, and I'm I'm willing to give this one a shot to see what they can do with it. The teaser doesn't really give us much to go on, but I do like the the I guess the mystery it creates. And so far, I'm just I'm thinking that it's going to be something that kind of turns maybe like Dan Aykroyd's character into like a Doc Brown, and there's a kid who's kind of like his Marty McFly, and the other three kids are his friends and. Obviously, you know, busting ghosts comes into play and all that jazz. So I'm, I'm, like I said, cautiously optimistic, hoping for the best. Well, Jason Reitman said in the past, if he made a Ghostbusters film, there'd be no busting. But I think well, he was just joking at that point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not going to be the case. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's get into what we are here for. I'm going to hand the reins over to Jacob because we're doing another Writer's Room episode, which is very popular with uh, our listeners. So, Jacob, go ahead. Yeah, I hope you're not tired of us ranking and arguing and talking about lists because we're here to talk about our 25 most anticipated new shows of 2019. So don't look for any returning shows. We, we originally thought about including those, but... Like it's the kind of thing like where if you include Game of Thrones season eight, that goes right to the top. There's no suspense, no fun. We all know it's exciting that that's ending. Yeah. So if there's a show that's you know it's coming back that you're excited for, it won't be on this list. This is all about new stuff. Yeah, this but is to wanna, help yeah. you like learn about new stuff. I think that's more exciting. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, uh, Game of Thrones is back this April. It would have it would have been my number one <laughs> if we were doing returning shows. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to follow a similar pattern to our previous. Uh, writer's room episodes where uh, to, we'll read through the whole list real quick. We'll do a few, you know, obvious no brainer must be on a list things. Then we'll nominate and discuss and sort of, you know, work the list from both ends. What needs to be on the list, what shouldn't be on the list. And we'll eventually carve out a top 25. Uh, so we have actually have 48 movies on our, sorry, 48 shows on our uh, list. So we need to cut 23 of these. Uh, hey, Ben, how about you read the first 10 here? Sure. All right. We're starting off with Black Monday. We've got Carnival Row, Catch-22, Central Park 5, City on a Hill, Creepshow, Deadly Class, Devs, Doom Patrol, and Fosse Verdon. And HT, have we take 11 through 20? All right. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Good Omens, Hannah, I Am the Night, Les Miserables, Living with Yourself, Lovecraft Country, Miracle Workers, Modern Love, and Mrs. Fletcher. Uh, HT, I love your French accent. <laughs> uh, Brad, you do 21. I took French 30. immersion for like uh, 10 years, so. Oh, well, there we go. I learned something new about the staff every day. Hey, hey, Brad, do 21 through 30 for us. Now Apocalypse, Pennyworth, Russian Doll, Shrill, Snowpiercer, Stargirl, Swamp Thing, The Act, The Boys, and The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. And Chris, you take 31 through 40. Uh, I sure can. <clears throat> the loudest voice in the room, the Mandalorian, the passage, the politician, the righteous gemstones, the twilight zone, the umbrella Academy, too old to die young top of the morning and Tuca and Bertie. And Peter, how we close that with the final eight here? Sure. Turn it up. Charlie untitled Picard spinoff warrior watchman. What we do in the shadows, whiskey cavalier, uh, Wizards, and Why. And uh, there's a lot of the uh, shows there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here's what 
I want to start with. I think there's like four or five here. Oh, and it should be I said think... that these aren't all the shows that are new and coming out this year. Oh, no. These are the Not shows that we kind of like, as a group, kind of like put on a list to narrow down. Yeah, a combination of things that I feel like need to be discussed or we want to discuss. You know, there's some things here that won't we'll make the list immediately, but I feel like they should at least be mentioned because they are in our wheelhouse. All right. So I'm going to start by, by just mentioning a few titles that we'll talk about them as we go. That I think should be on this list. I think we can all agree on this list. But if anyone disagrees, if anyone adamantly says, nope, that shouldn't be here, we will table it for later. But I want to go and start with HBO's Watchmen. It's a comic book adaptation. It's a, actually a sequel to the original graphic novel, which is a masterpiece. It is David Lindelof coming out to Leftovers. Uh, so he's in, he's in the most experimental mo- mood ever, probably. Uh, the teaser footage looks strange. The footage sounds, the footage that we've um, seen looks like mysterious and otherworldly the premise of it being a sequel is fascinating uh a, a, uh, Peter, can you talk us a little bit more about Watchmen and why this is exciting? I mean, I think you said most of it. I mean, the cast is great. Regina King, uh, Jeremy Irons, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, Don Johnson. <laughs> like, uh, it, it just sounds like a crazy – it sounds like something that would happen, like, in the alternate world that Watchmen is set. It doesn't sound like <laughs> something we should get in this reality. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested in this simply because of the people involved and then the uh, the concept behind it. Yeah, uh, Watchmen is on this list, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Lindelof is definitely someone I'm interested in seeing more of. Yeah. I think Lindelof returning to like a geek property post Leftovers, where he like expanded himself as, as a storyteller, reteaming with HBO. It, it's actually really exciting. So we're going to lock in Watchmen. All right. Another one that I think we can, we can probably all agree is what we do in the shadows coming to FX. Uh, what we do in the shadows, the movie, the Jermaine, Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi film, the vampire comedy mockumentary from a few years ago, was number two on Slash Film's favorite movies of the year list that year. And since then, I've watched that movie maybe 20 times. It's one of my go-to. I need a movie on the background. It makes me happy. And even though it moves the action to, to Staten Island in, uh, instead of uh, Wellington, New Zealand, it follows a new set of vampires living in a flat. I am very excited because it has so many of the same people behind the scenes, even with a new cast. So I guess the big question is, is anyone here opposed to what we do in the shadows being on here? Or if you want to speak up and, and agree with me, now is your chance. I am fully behind uh, this new series because it's executive produced uh, and written by Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. Um, I, I, lo- I love Matthew Berry as a, as a comedian. And I think that this has the potential to take the show in a, a different direction since it's not set in New Zealand, it's set in New York, and still but still have the same kind of comedy that we liked about the, the original movie. I saw the original movie on a plane and didn't really think it was that funny. I feel like I'm going to be that guy. I don't know. I don't know. God. This is one of the best comedies of the past decade. Are you hilarious. What? I was laughing nonstop best. when I saw this. I think it's funny, but I don't think it's one of the best comedies of the last decade. And it, it, it's, oh, I feel Peter, like it, I feel like hey, it's a shame for me that most people discover Taika through this movie because I feel like his older movies are better than this. I don't know. No, no, yeah. no. Hey, hey, Peter, you're wrong. You're flat out wrong. <laughs> what we do in the shadows is a comedy masterpiece. And yes, Taika Waititi has made some other great movies. Boy is fantastic. Um, you know, it's like there there are different kinds of movies though. This. As a, as, as a mockumentary, it's it's every bit as as good as something like The Office, but it's even I feel like it's even 
sharper. Uh, um, it's yeah, I just I don't know. Hey, I I'm not bad. I like the movie. Okay, I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, my hesitation with this, and I, I I do think it should probably be on the list, but my hesitation with this is I don't think Taika is going to be that involved here. Like it, he it seems like he has his uh, feed in other areas. So I, I feel like what makes that movie so funny is you know his sense of humor i mean they did write it like they've they talked yeah. about that so at, at the very least this first season does have have their influence so i'm gonna uh i'm gonna throw a chain into the bike wheels of this this conversation and say i'm not excited about this at all and i love really? the movie i think the trailers look terrible they're hokey they don't have the humor of the movie at all and i'm not excited about this new cast so no i don't care <laughs> this is a wow, very Chris shocking is, turn of events. Yeah, Chris is putting down a like probably one of the only quasi horror shows on this list. I'm sending Peter, Ben, and Chris something inconvenient in the mail, <laughs> <laughs> like like an, an old sandwich or a glitter you, bomb or something. You know, there's a service where you can send people potatoes with just Perfect. like. With a Perfect. message on it? Yes, please. Complete. There's nothing inconvenient about a potato. You can use that for a million things. Thanks for dinner, punk. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that what we do in the shadows, the American version, is about vampires who were sent from Europe to, to North America to invade the continent and take over vampires who settled in Staten Island and never left. And now their boss is showing up to check on them. I think that's the greatest premise. Yes, like, it for, is. For, it's, for, it's hilarious. It's such a, I love that. I love that as a table setting for the first season. But you know what? There's enough resistance here that I'm going to bold this. We'll come back to it. I think it will make the list once you talk about it some more. Because uh, I think it, there's other things on this list I think can go sooner. But it's obviously it's clearly not going to make it immediately, so it's tabled for now. Yeah. But what will make it in immediately is The Mandalorian, the new Star Wars live-action show coming to Disney+. Plus. Brad, tell us about The Mandalorian. Mandalorian is the first live-action Star Wars series. Uh, it's also one of the first big offerings coming from Disney's streaming service, Disney+. Plus. Uh, it stars Pedro Pascal as the title character, The Mandalorian, uh, which is the uh, same uh, civilization that Boba Fett hails from, uh, a, a group of uh, warriors who are known for uh, wearing similar armor, uh, being very skilled fighters. And uh, yeah, the series has an incredible cast behind it. It has an incredible slate of directors. Um, it's executive produced by John Favreau. Some of the directors include, uh, like we just talked about, Taika Waititi, Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, there's just, there, this is going to be very exciting because this is the first time we've actually seen the live-action Star Wars universe come to life in a serial form. So with all the talent involved behind this and with all the money that Disney is throwing at it, I'm very excited to see what they can do, uh, especially when it comes to a world that we haven't really explored much uh, other than the animated shows. They, they had me at Pedro Pascal as a sci-fi lone gunman, like wandering the edge of the galaxy. They need to make it Star Wars, and it's like, whoa. I mean, is anybody here? Who else wants? Who else is excited about this? I know, this, Peter, you're excited for this. Yeah, this is my number one. Werner Herzog plays somebody in this movie, in this show, and uh, I know John Favreau is using like that technology that he has developed on Jungle Book and possibly Lion King for this. So it's going to be uh, unlike any other TV show we've seen. At least that's what we're hearing. And this is also set between. Uh, the, the events of Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. So we're getting to see a bit of this galaxy that we haven't seen in 
any of the medias at this point. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm super excited for this. And this is going to be on Disney Plus in, I think, late 2019. They haven't announced the date. I guess here's the question. Does anybody oppose this Beyond the List? Is anyone here looking at live-action Star Wars and saying, nah, nah to that? Well, I will say I wasn't looking forward to the show when it was first announced, but as soon as they um, confirmed that it wasn't going to be about Boba Fett and it was going to star Pedro Pascal, I turned around because I absolutely love Pedro Pascal. I think he's just a movie star waiting to happen, so I can't wait to see what he does with this role. All right. I'm going to toss Mandalorian locked in on our list. Yes. Next to Watchmen. Okay, guys. I, uh, I was waiting for for Chris to know this one, and then <laughs> I, I could make the joke that he doesn't. What does he like? Uh, what does he have against Taika Waititi? But um, <laughs> it didn't happen. Well, I think even Chris is intrigued by this one, right, Chris? Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he hates Taika. I'm telling you, he hates Chris him. Want, he doesn't want to fight. He's just like, nah, not worth it. <laughs> Another one I think that this one's actually a little bit under the radar, but I think the talent involved, it, it's such a lock for the Slash Home staff, and that is Devs, the new FX series that's written and every episode directed by Alex Garland of Ex Machina and Annihilation. Hey, uh, um, can somebody, whoever is fastest, pull up the plot synopsis and read this for people who have not been following Devs? Yeah, I got it right here. Uh, Devs follows a young computer engineer, Lily, who investigates the secretive development division of her employer, a cutting-edge tech company based in San Francisco, which she believes is behind the disappearance of her boyfriend. And I think I think Alex Garland making a 10-episode TV show that he's entirely directing himself alone makes this law, considering how much we love Annihilation and Ex Machina. What do you guys think? Yes, this would be, I think, my number one on this list. Sold. Yeah, I'm in. Yep. The only thing I don't like is the title. Like, <laughs> like Chris always has to say something. <laughs> <laughs> look, look I th- I'm going to counter this. I think you guys but, like too much stuff, and I'm sick of this. <laughs> I'm but, sick of this uh, this accusation that I hate everything. I but, think it's the reverse that you guys are just way too accepting. You need to be more skeptical. Hey, like hey, me. We, we like things, Chris. And by the way, we should mention that you hated the title of Flarsky, the <laughs> Seth Rogen, uh, uh, Jonathan Levine movie, and they announced that is going to be playing at South by Southwest this year, and it's now untitled. So That's right. So they, Chris, they know. <laughs> Chris, you got your wish. They might be changing the title. Good. Now just delete the movie from existence, and I'll be really happy. <laughs> It will always exist in our most anticipated movies of 2019. <laughs> um, right. I do want to say one thing uh, about devs is that uh, I want to, I'm a little cautious too about um, sci-fi directors, like auteurs who are very visually um, like kind of visionaries uh, taking to TV without any real boundaries and that can sometimes result in something that's like maybe more style than substance i'm thinking something like noah hawley with legion and then um carrie fukunaga with um uh don't you dare say a bad word about maniac (laughs) with maniac well actually haven't seen all of maniac that's just the criticism that was levied against it but that's just something to keep in mind with devs i think because i really like alex garland i'm excited for his work but i do think that sometimes um yeah, but with you... sci-fi shows like this, we want to, I, I want to have like not too high expectations just in case it doesn't quite live up to them. You know what? I had that problem with Maniac that it was kind of more style over substance. But even then, I would rather every show on TV be that ambitious and that interesting than be 
you know, the stuff we get on network television. And I'll step in and say, if Ben's going to defend Maniac, I'll defend Legion. That style became substance, HT. It became I, substance. I still <laughs> haven't seen season two of Legion, so. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a thing. It's a neat thing. All right. Uh, here's a show that I know for a fact HT will unreservedly want on this list. I think we can all probably agree with her. That is Amazon's adaptation of Good Omens that Neil yes. Gaiman... Neil Gaiman, the, the one that co-writer his original novel, is actually uh, showrunning it. H.G., can you read the synopsis for this? So Good Omens stars David Tennant as the demon Crowley and Michael Sheen as the angel, angel Aziraphale, who are trying to re- prevent the apocalypse. Um, other actors include John Hamm, Anna Maxwell Martin, Josie Lawrence, Adria Arjona, and it's uh, basically about... Uh, these, this demon and angel who uh, team up to find the um, the Antichrist. Because they like living on Earth so much they don't want to end, if I remember correctly, right? Yes. they. Yeah. Um, even though they're sworn enemies, they actually end up becoming friends of, over the centuries. And uh, they don't want the world to end. Yeah, the book is by uh, Neil Gaiman and the late Terry Pratchett, and it's it's a scream. It's just a great blend of comedy and fantasy. And I had I've written a long time, I'm due for a reread, but it's one of those like really really amazing books has been like almost adapted into a movie several times. Uh, HD, I think you're the super fan though, right? Yes, I really adore this book. Um, it's so wry and funny and just very dark comedy and like this and has a good satirical bent to it. Um, goes in directions that you don't really expect. And I'm excited to see Neil Gaiman showrunning this series because this is his first time as a showrunner for um, a TV show, as far as I know. And um, he also received the blessing from Terry Pratchett before Pratchett passed away to um, write and uh, bring this series to life. So under the guidance of Gaiman, who I absolutely adore, I think that this series could be great. And again, the casting is just heaven sent. David Tennant is perfect as Crowley. Michael Sheen is great as the like more straight-laced Aziraphale. So I can't wait. I think that they'll, it'll just be comedy gold as well as um, something very stylish and, and uh, entertaining. Is anybody opposed to this? Or, did, or is anyone also excited about this despite having read or not read the book? I will say this. I like Gaiman a lot, but I did see a clip of this, an early clip at uh, Comic-Con, and it looked very low-budget BBC kind of thing. At least what they showed, so it wasn't um, you know awe-inspiring, but um, but I, I'm interested. Yeah, I'm sold on the premise and the the cast. It sounds great. Okay, I'm gonna lock Good Omens into our top twenty-five. All right, those are the ones I had set aside as ones that I thought we could all kind of agree on. So with the exception of what we knew, the shadows we've locked in four. All right, so we're gonna do this time. So I want to go around the table. Um, we're gonna go in order of, of all of you on my Skype page. <laughs> um, and you're all going to nominate one that you think belongs on this list. And if people disagree, nominate another one. That way each of us will get something we want on this list uh, with the agreement of the group going around the circle. And we'll do this maybe once or twice and see how we feel. And we'll maybe attack the list from the other end in a little bit. But uh, first, on my, first on my Skype page, all the little circles with little heads in them, is Ben. Ben, what do you think belongs on our top 25? Uh, I'm going to go to bat for Modern Love, which is written and directed by John Carney, who's the guy who did Sing Street. And this show stars Anne Hathaway, Tina Fey, John Slattery, Catherine Keener, Dev Patel, Shea Wiggum, Andy Garcia, Olivia Cook, uh, Sophia Butella, and John Gallagher Jr. Uh, the logline is Modern Love will explore love in its multitude of forms, including sexual, romantic, familial, platonic, and self-love. So it's sort of like um, 
it's a limited series from what I understand. And I mean, just that incredible cast led by Anne Hathaway and uh, John Carney, who has done some really, really great stuff. I loved Sing Street and um, he directed once the uh, low budget Irish musical. And he also did, oh God, what is that movie with uh, Kira Knightley? Begin, uh, Begin Again. Again, yes. Uh, so, uh, which was, you know, uh, probably his, uh, the, le- the, the lesser of his works, but it's still like, a good movie. So, um, yeah, I don't know all this talent and, uh, that premise and, and yeah, I'm, I'm all in for this one. It sounds great. It sounds really good. Like I, I didn't, I actually did not realize this is John Carney. That is, that is exciting. Do you know if it's going to be a musical? I don't know. I've been like trying to find the answer to that. And I kind of hope there are, I mean, obviously Anne Hathaway won an Oscar for like, for her lame is uh, musical performance. So um, there's definitely potential there. I feel like it has to be like, you don't have this, you know, this talent together to not do some kind of musical thing. Yeah, I hope so. Maybe, uh, I don't know. We'll keep an eye out and, and update slash film listeners if if we learn anything concrete. Does anybody oppose Mon Love be on this list? Anybody maybe go eh, about this? Okay, I'm taking that in silence as Modern Love being slotted into our top 25. Every time you say that, I just imagine Chris in the corner, like, containing himself, being like, <laughs> I, I shouldn't speak up every single time. I think Chris is picking his battles. I can tell, I can, I can, I can visually, I can, in my ear, I hear his thought process of, which five or six battles should I pick on this list? <laughs> I'm just uh, tired. I'm just tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, HT, you're next in my rotation. Uh, what should be on this list? Um, my pick is I Am the Night, a six-episode limited series um, directed by Patty Jenkins and starring Chris Pine and India Isley. So this is a series on TNT that follows Fauna Hodel, a young girl who's given up by her birth mother, who sets out to uncover the secrets of her past and ends up following a sinister trail that swirls closer to a gynecologist involved in the legendary Black Dahlia slaying. Um, first, it ha- I'm... I'm very excited for this because of the talent behind it. Chris Pine is, you may know, my favorite Chris after Evangelista here. And um, I'm so excited to, <laughs> I'm excited to see Patty Jenkins and Chris Pine uh, reunite again for a different um, telling of the D- Black Dahlia murders, I think. And I'm, I'm excited to see that a period piece and a, a noir at that from both of them. I think this is actually sort of a pseudo sequel, not quite sequel, not the right word, but follow up to The Alienist. This is TNT's second attempt to do like a uh, like mystery anthology series, you know, period piece. Also, I think a lot of the same people are behind the scenes on it. Am I correct about that? It's not the same people. It's part of their it's like this their series of they have like um, a name for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like um, I'm a little sad. Still, yeah, that that the alien is not getting a second season, but that makes me more excited about. No, it is. the alien is getting a second season. Oh, then I am wrong, and I'm more excited. Then it's called uh, the Prince of Darkness. It'll be out sometime oh. soon. TNT, oh. you're confusing me with your saying this is an anthology series and giving things second season. You're confusing TNT. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I think Patty Jenkins on TV with Chris Pine is very cool. And even though this probably wouldn't make my top 10 or even my top five, um, I, I think this deserves a place in the list. Anyone else disagree? Let me just chime in and say I have seen the f- five of the six episodes of this already, and I will have the review probably in by tomorrow. And it's good. So oh, <laughs> make of that what you will. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh I'm going to go ahead and lock this in unless I hear from anybody right now. And I am the night you are on our list. Uh, Brad, your next in our rotation. What should be on our list? 
Uh, I think this is going to be an easy sell. I'm pretty sure that we have to add the Twilight Zone to this list. Yes, please. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, Jordan Peele is behind it. We've solely seen the the cast that's involved with the series, and I'm all for an update of this show. Uh, it's a classic that's influenced plenty of filmmakers for decades, and seeing a new version of it uh, is definitely uh, enticing. It's, uh, again, when you, especially with Jordan Peele involved. I think the funny thing is that whenever we wrap up the show, uh, someone always chimes in and says, "Sci," uh, says. Uh, Twilight Zone wasn't political. Why are you putting politics into my Twilight Zone? Uh, Twilight Zone is the most political yeah. science fiction fantasy show of all time. Every single episode has it has satiric or metaphorical meaning for society and, and satire and commentary. And Jordan Peele, the guy behind Get Out, maybe the great um, you know social commentary genre film in the past ten years, taking on an anthology show whose foundation is social commentary via genre fiction, is such a perfect match. Uh, that I think that even though Twilight Zone's been revived twice in the past with the mixed results, I think this has the capacity to be like maybe not maybe maybe not as good as the original, which is you know untouchable television, but something very special. What do you guys think? Yeah, this is definitely uh, one would be at the top of my list. I'm very excited about this. I, I am excited. At, the only thing that leaves me hesitant is that this is for CBS's all access digital service, and so far I have not been that impressed by the. Uh, you know uh, the production quality on that. Like it, it does seem like they're doing things the network way and not the uh, the way that premium cable channels do their productions. Like uh, premium cable channels, for those who don't know, keep uh, the filmmaker involved throughout the editing process. In network shows, basically the director directs the episode and then it gets handed off to you know showrunners and editors and it's edited and then that director can come back for i think a day or two or something like that so it's it's like less of a it feels less of an artistic endeavor but i feel like jordan peele is the person to to you know course correct that into a you know a more uh artistic endeavor than you would typically get from network television yeah, I think Twilight Zone needs to be on this list. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, Chris, you are next in my rotation. Uh, what are one of the four shows you're excited for? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Creepshow. Uh, Shudder is turning the, the George Romero, Stephen King uh, anthology film Creepshow into a TV series. Uh, Greg Nicotero, who started out as a uh, makeup effects guy and has since become a director is uh, running it and Stephen King is going to be involved with the show. And uh, uh, obviously this is probably like the most obvious choice for me since I, I have said, I love Stephen King approximately 500 times on this show. So that's, that's my pick. Yeah. I think just today uh, news broke that you wrote up for us that uh, the Stephen King short story survivor type is being adapted into an episode. And that's the most upsetting, disturbing Stephen King story I've ever seen or ever read. So knowing that that's the material they're going after has me so intrigued and actually kind of scared of it. What do you think, Chris? Yeah. Survivor type is uh, very upsetting. I, I'm not very squeamish because I'm so used to horror, but that's one of the few things that actually makes me uh, uncomfortable when I read it. So if they're going to realize that fully, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be something worth seeing. All right. I want to hear from uh, anybody else who maybe is not familiar with the creep show movie who is maybe not a Stephen King fan, does this premise uh, engage you at all? Uh, or is it something you guys want to say maybe we should wait off on? Or is it a lock? What do you guys think? See, I am a Stephen King fan, but I do not have Shudder 
And I would venture to say that probably 99% of our listeners do not have Shudder. Well, so... maybe they should get it and stop being jerks. I mean, <laughs> it's five but, bucks a month. But five is it, whole dollars. Is this going to be enough to get people to subscribe to Shudder is my question. I'm, I just don't, you know, I, I haven't subscribed to Stars for all these years. And that has Counterpart, which everybody, you know, says may, is amazing. I just recently subscribed. So now I'm discovering how amazing it is. Uh, All right. Everyone email me. I'll give you my shutter password. Everyone out there listening. You... Uh... <laughs> Brad, what do you think? You strike me as the kind of person who has seen Creep Show from the 80s. It's very much an 80s thing I think you would, you've enjoyed. I actually haven't seen Creep Show. Oh, wow. Uh, just to clarify, this is an anthology series, correct? Yeah. The original movie is, I think, five different short films all okay. by George Romero. And the series is going to be an anthology adapting different horror stories, um, and maybe some Stephen King, some not, presumably. Yeah, I, actually, I think I'm on board for that. Just, I, I, I've always liked the idea of anthology series. I, I like them, their ability to tell all these different kinds of stories with different casts, different filmmakers. And considering um, you know Stephen King's involvement, I think that this, that this definitely sounds like something that I wanna, would like to go out of my way to see. Ben, have you seen Creepshow? I have not. Um, oh, what is, is with this crew today? I don't know. It's a blind spot for me. Um, I need to add it to my list. But uh, I'm intrigued, certainly. And I think uh, I think it should go on here just because, you know, <laughs> like Chris is so passionate about it. I feel like there's there's a place for it. I don't mean we'll do maybe individual rankings of all these later on. But um, but yeah, I feel like it should it probably has a place on this list. And HT, I know you're you're our new horror fan. You've recently, so I assume you haven't seen Creep Show yet. But does this intrigue you at all? Yeah, I'm down. I probably don't know if I'll be able to watch it because I also don't have Shutter. But I'm here for the Stephen King assance. Uh, I'm going to endorse this because one, I want to see, it, and two, anyway, we can talk about Shutter uh, and get people more people interested. And it, it's five dollars a month for all kinds of really incredible horror films, horror series, stuff from around the world, stuff that's you know, like uh, you know, small, large. I think that any way we can you know, talk about how this is becoming one of the streaming services for genre fans is worth it. I think putting this on this list is good for Creepshow because it sounds promising, but good for Shudder because I, I will give them my flesh for them to survive for as long as they possibly can. Anybody anybody want to speak up and say, no, we should bold this and move on, or should we just go ahead and toss it on the list? I don't think it belongs on the list. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am putting Creepshow on the list and peter you're next in my rotation um i think i have to say for my entry the boys this is an amazon series the pilot is directed by our friend dan trachtenberg um and uh it's from showrunner eric kripke i think is how you pronounce it it's also produced by uh, seth rogan and evan goldberg uh this stars carl urban it also has elizabeth shoe who is my childhood crush from you know, all those 80s movies. Um, this show is a superhero show. It uh, it takes place in the world of superheroes where superheroes have become massive celebrities and famous. And it centers a, 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 around a group of vigilantes who were formal or informally known as the boys. Now, I've never read this actual comic. So, uh, Jacob, you have, right? Yeah, I've read most of it. I read almost the very end of it and never actually got a chance to finish it. I'm intrigued by this because when the boys is good as a comic, it's very good. But when it's bad, it's very bad. It's, it's written by Garth Ennis uh, of Preacher fame, and he hates superheroes. He hates superheroes so much and his bile for them. Like sometimes discolors the book and makes it sometimes very unfun because it's a superhero story by a guy mm -hmm. who does not like these types of stories. But 
when he's done making the most obvious dick fart jokes, the expensive superheroes, he really turns it around and finds characters who are fascinating and flawed and really three-dimensional. And the ultimate conflict of the show, of, of the series and where it goes, really kept me gripped. And I think like the Preacher TV show, if they can find a way to maybe tone down the scatological stuff and, you know, concentrate on the, the character dynamics and the uh, and the inherent drama of these really well-realized characters, it could be really, really cool. Um, so I, for that reason, I want this on the list. But at the same time, the source material is something that is wildly hit and miss. I, I, I think the main reason why this is on the list – well, this is a comic book that I've had that – it's it's uh I've been uh Dave Channing Channing this I I have had this comic book for some time and I haven't read it, uh but Dan Trachtenberg's involvement is what has me excited most excited about this to be honest. Yeah, I know Dan is a friend of the site and he's yeah. been on this podcast before, but Ted Chlorofield Lane speaks for itself. He's a hell of a director. I I have a ton of filmmaker friends who make bad movies that I would not champion on podcasts. <laughs> All right, what do you guys think? Other than me and Peter, what's the what's the consensus on the boys here? Um, it's been in development for so long. You know, I, I think Adam McKay was involved, maybe as a movie at some point, and so I'm I'm curious about it just to see. I mean, obviously the Trachtenberg element is attractive to me because he's so great, but uh, but I think you know, putting that aside, I think the story sounds interesting and like it could be a uh, you know the sort of postmodern. Um, a take on superheroes that would actually make sense right now, considering the glut that we're in. Yeah, I want to point out the the, the stars Carl Urban, Elizabeth Shue, uh, and a few other like those. Those are the two big names. But uh, Carl Urban's actually perfectly cast as that character. He was the leader of the boys, the black ops team who hunts down and polices rogue superheroes. And I think anyone who puts Carl Urban front and center <laughs> is good for me because Carl Urban is the best. Uh, Brad, HD, Chris, any thoughts on this one? I'm on the fence about this one because uh, while the premise sounds interesting, I feel like it could be um, based on what you're saying about the comics. It could be really good or just m- mediocre. So, but I do like the talent behind it. Um, Dan Trackenberg is a great director. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of a, I'm still on the fence. I think. Chris, I want to hear your thoughts here. Uh, I mean, you know me. I love cracking open a cold one with the boys, but I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know how. I I don't really feel one way or another about this yet. I I'm not against it. I just don't feel particularly right. enthused. All right. So Peter and I think this should be on the list for sure. Is there enough resistance to keep it off for now, or do we think there was enough enthusiasm to put it on the list? Yeah, I don't really have any resistance to it. I'm just kind of like. Uh, sure, I'll give it a shot, maybe. I should also mention that Simon Pegg is also in the show. I think in a very tiny role, Yeah, it's, it's a small role. Isn't it a character that was actually based off of Simon Pegg as well? He's playing the father of a character who was drawn to look like Simon Pegg, but that was right, 15 right. years ago, so now he's aged out of the role. So they, he's, so it's kind of a little Easter egg that he's playing that, uh, the father of that character, but he's not actually playing one of the leads. Yeah. It sounds like there's not enough resistance to keep it off the list. Yeah. I think yeah. it's fine. Like, I don't think anyone is really arguing against it. All right, the boys. I'm going to put you on the list. Welcome to it. Which brings around to me. Oh, boy. I'm going to talk about another thing. Another comic book adaptation that's been in the works for a long time, both as a movie and a TV show. And that is Why, which is the title of the FX adaptation of Why the Last Man, the comic by Brian K. Vaughn and P. Guerrera. And for those of you who have not read this, this is a comic a classic vertical comic about a deadly virus that wipes out 
every single male on the planet Earth, all animals, all humans, leaving only women, with the exception of one young man and his pet male monkey. Uh, and it's this post-apocalyptic tale of this of him journeying through a world where he's the only man trying to find out what happened and trying to see if there's a cure, trying to find trying to see the future of the world where only women are left. And it is funny and heartbreaking. It's full of action. It's full of like great sci-fi ideas. The characters are, are incredibly well realized. Like um, the last issue of Why the Last Man had me bawling and in tears, and I still think about it on the regular. It is one of the greatest comic books of all time. It is perfect. And this is being um, produced by um, Michael Green, who wrote uh, who whose writing credits include things like Blade Runner uh, 2049, uh, Murder in the Orient Express. He um, was one of the two showrunners on the first season of American Gods before he was fired, which is a shame because that first season is pretty much perfect. And I think Michael Green running Y for FX with a cast that includes Diane Lane, Barry Keegan, Imogen Poots. I am excited that this is, after years of development, this is coming to life. I think it's the right team on the right network, and I would fight hard for this one. What do you guys think? I was going to pick this next, so I'm right there with yeah. you. I mean, I've also read this and love this comic, and uh, I'm very excited to see it finally, finally, finally come to some sort of uh, cinematic life, uh, even if it's on TV. So uh, I'm totally down for this one. I-, I love this comic. This comic was one of the comics that brought me back into comics, uh, you know, like, I guess like about 10 years ago or so. And I, you know, I was so excited. Dan Trachtenberg was going to direct this as a feature film. Uh, Even then I was saying it would be so much better as a TV show. I'm glad that they're doing it for TV. uh, And I'm glad that Brian K. Vaughn is finally more involved in this. So I'm all for it. Okay. Welcome to the top 25. Why? Unless anybody has any objections, strident objections going once, going twice. Okay. I'm locking why into our top 25. Hey, Ben, we've circled back around to you. Yes, I'm frantically scrolling right now. Uh, I think... God, there are so many that I'm I'm kind of on the fence, like, loosely interested in, but I don't know if I would fully go to bat for. I think we've hit all the ones that would be on my personal list at this point. Um, okay, here, here's one. How about a Central Park 5, which is created by Ava DuVernay, uh, and it stars Michael K. Williams and VR Farmiga and John Leguizamo. This is based on the true story that gripped the nation. The four-episode series will chronicle the notorious case of five teenagers of color who were convicted of a rape they did not commit. This spans from the spring of 1989 when each were first questioned about the incident to 2014 when they were exonerated and a settlement was reached with the city of New York. I know this is something that uh, Ava DuVernay has been super passionate about. This is a Netflix show that comes out later this year. Um, I mean, I was really pulling for A Wrinkle in Time to be great, and I was disappointed when I didn't find it to be great. So I am still very much in Ava's corner. I hope that this is awesome, and it seems like she, you know, it seems like something that um, that she's been putting a lot of time into based on her social media. So uh, I am, yeah, I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm interested to see, sort of take the temperature of the room and see what the rest of you guys think about the show. Oh, I'm in the same boat as Ben. I'm still in Ava's corner, despite my disappointment with A Wrinkle in Time. That was a movie I was really looking forward to as well, because I like the source material so much. And it was just kind of a mess. But I think that she does really well with, um, with stories and narratives that are more... Um, historically grounded and very potent. Um, Salem, uh, not Salem, I wasn't thinking. Um, uh, Selma. Selma, 
Yes, that's nice. Selma was great. Uh, and she had the Netflix documentary 13 as well, which had a lot of acclaim. So I think she'll do a good job with this. So I, I'm I'm also on board with the with uh, Central Park Five. Yeah, in in 2019, considering the, the current political climate, this is a story that I think needs to be told loudly once again. And a TV show on Netflix where they'll have millions of eyes on it is the right place for it. And I hope that the politics are matched by the filmmaking. That's only that's only only concern is like it's very easy to look at this material and try to make it into a message show. And I think I think it can be a message show while being grounded in great drama. So if she can pull the balance off, and she did with Selma, uh, I think DuVernay is on to something here, and then I think it should be on the list. Yep. I, <laughs> I, I would say I, this. I have the same hesitations you guys do. This wouldn't be on my list, but I, I'm okay with it. Yeah, right. I mean, it's tying to the political thing. Uh, you know, this is definitely the right time to tell this story um, because uh, I don't know if – I'm sure people are aware of this, but during the whole trial – uh, Donald Trump, who is now our terrible president, took out an ad where he basically called for the execution of the Central Park Five. And even though they were eventually you know, cleared of all charges, he never apologized for that. And even during his political, his presidential campaign, it was brought up and someone were like, do you want to apologize now? And he was like, no, I'm not apologizing because he is a monster. So uh, <laughs> I, I think it's definitely the right time to, to retell this story. Yeah, I, I think that I'm putting this in our top 50, top 25 right now. And HT, what are you excited for? Um, my pick is Fosse Verdon. So uh, this is a show that wasn't really on my radar until I saw the trailer for it, which I think dropped on the golden the night of the Golden Globes. And I was all in. Um, I was very impressed by the trailer, uh, which um, is – and it's for – the series starring Michelle Williams and Sam Rockwell um, that uh, follows Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon's uh, creative and romantic partnership across five decades. So uh, Bob Fosse, if you may know, um, is one of the great Broadway choreographers and filmmakers behind Chicago, Cabaret, other classics, while Gwen Verdon is considered one of the best uh, Broadway dancers of all time and was um, his second wife and his muse. And together they created um, a legacy that was um, still stands today. I absolutely love this trailer. It's so um, vibrant and kinetic and um, catchy. And I love Sam Rockwell to, uh, putting on a bald cap and uh, playing a character actor. And Michelle Williams, too, is always great. So the, just the combo of the, them two with a, a show that's produced by Lin-Manuel Miranda I'm all I'm all in. I originally was not pumped for this, even though I like the actors. But like literally the day it was announced, one of our freelancers, Lindsay Romaine, emailed me and said, "This is the most exciting show of next year. Here's why. Can I write about it?" And I'll put this in the show notes. But she has an entire article about the legacy of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon, their relationship, and the drama behind the scenes and why they matter. And that the fact that we published an article and it's convincing as to why this history deserves a TV show is why I think this should be in top 25. Uh, yeah, this was actually going to be my next pick. So now I got to think of something else, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for this because I'm a, I'm a fan of Bob Fosse's films, particularly uh, all that jazz, which is a very uh, autobiographical film where he basically made a movie about how he is a terrible person. And that's what that movie's about. So I'm very interested to see how Sam Rockwell plays that part. And, uh, you know, I love Michelle Williams. So, yeah, I'm, I'm 
all in on this as well. I feel like the show may be the anti-Peter. Uh, <laughs> what do you think, Peter? I, I, I don't know what to think of the show. It's, I don't. I'm not against it, but I, I also haven't seen that trailer, so I feel like uh, I don't know. The trailer is very good, Peter. I think it might yeah. sell you because it really sold me. I'm, I mean, I'm not against it. Like, it sounds interesting, but uh, I'm sure maybe if I saw the trailer, maybe I would think differently. <laughs> All right. I think I'll, I'll see the obvious resistance. So I'm going to put Fosse Verdon into our top 25. And Brad, we're back to you. Okay. 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 Um,. I would like to go with The Righteous Gemstones. Uh, we haven't really gone to bat for um, many comedies yet. What we do in The Shadows was met with a little bit of resistance. And I think the fact that Danny McBride and Jody Hill are reteaming for a new HBO show after doing stuff like Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals is all the reason to get excited for it. David Gordon Green has evolved again as a producer. And this time they're tackling uh, religion because this series focuses on uh, this, a family known as the Gemstones, who are a famous televangelist family, and they have a, a long tradition of deviance, greed, and charitable work, all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I feel like sending up one of these families, who is like the face of a huge megachurch and is probably the most one of the most corrupt uh, and you know greedy families on the planet, is a great place to start, especially when you know how hard Danny McBride and Jody Hill can go when it comes to satire and just just raunchy comedy in general. Um, on top of Danny McBride being in this show, John Goodman's also in it. Uh, Adam Devine is in it. This I think this has the potential to be another great comedy from them, and I'm I'm always excited when they do something together. I love the idea of, of John Goodman's son is Danny McBride, and Danny McBride's son is Adam Devine in the show. Like three generations of like <laughs> total scumbags played by those three. Uh, it sounds amazing. And as, I live in Texas. I regularly visit Dallas where megachurches are everywhere, and man, I hate these people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I visited a megachurch, but these people are oftentimes like using so much money and space. Instead of you know helping the homeless and doing Christian work, they're building stadiums um, to collect more money. And the idea of Damian Bryan and Joni Hill, who are just the most vicious like comedians who have tackled um, this kind of you know rural comedy before. I'm I'm waiting for them to be taken down a peg or two. Even even my, even my wife, who hates Jody Hill's style of comedy, wants to watch this because she hates mega churches so much from growing up in Dallas. So I think I, I'm all on board for this one. Yeah, I'm a, a fan of Jody Hill and uh, Danny McBride's work. I'm excited for this. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. All right, the righteous gemstones in our top twenty-five. Chris, what do you nominate? Uh, I will pick uh, Lovecraft Country, which let me look for the actual synopsis for that because I'm not prepared because I'm bad at this. Um, it's based on a novel by Matt Ruff. It's uh, being produced by Jordan Peele. Um, it's basically uh, it's about a, a guy traveling across 1950s Jim Crow America, but it also blends in stuff from H.P. Lovecraft. And that idea alone just has me very intrigued because Lovecraft is very hard for some filmmakers to get right. And I don't, I can't really figure out why I, I think it's because it's a very cerebral sort of way of writing, but I think blending this with social uh, commentary and mixed with the fact that Lovecraft himself was very racist, which uh, I think people who've read him are aware how racist his writing was. So just that idea of taking, this very racist writer and uh, dropping that in the, in the middle of this, this the Jim Crow South uh, kind of road trip story has me very intrigued. 
Yeah, I mean, H.G. Lovecraft, I mean, I'm the, I'm a huge, I've read everything word he's ever written, but yeah, the male's a, a freaking racist, and it informs his writing in ways that are very, it's very uncomfortable. So the idea of making a story set in 60s America where racism is at the forefront and blending in those ideas to tell a story about racism and supernatural horror and how they <laughs> blend them together. I'm excited. I mean, I've had this book sitting on my, on my nightstand for a few months now. I keep on meaning to crack it open. I keep getting sidetracked. And I think this is the opportunity to have to finally dive in. So, yeah, I'm all on board for this one. What do you guys think? I'm in. Yes. I'm sold after um, Chris's explanation. I'm really intrigued now. All right. Love Crowd Country. You're in our top 25. All right, Peter, what do you nominate? I'm going to nominate a sci-fi show, Deadly Class. This show came out, uh, it actually aired, I think, last night, January 16th. But it's been online for a couple weeks now. I saw this. Uh, with my girlfriend Kitra on YouTube a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is based on a comic book series, which uh, I really enjoyed. I, I only read the first trade, and I, I'm not sure why. Like, I, I really wanted to read more. This is produced by the Russo brothers, so the guys that did, you know, the recent Avengers films. And it's a coming-of-age story set in, like, the the late 1980s. Uh, it's in the 1980s counterculture, and it follows kind of like this disillusioned teen who is recruited into a storied high school uh, for assassins. So it's kind of like Hogwarts for super assassins. If that Hogwarts for murder. <laughs> yeah, Hogwarts for murder. Um, the first episode is so stylish, uh, filled with so many uh great 80s songs not just the ones that usually you get in like 80s period pieces it's really like the counterculture punk kind of stuff um it it, uh i don't know i i i am i'm in for this one and uh if this gives you any indication kitra who i usually try to show her sci-fi shows and she usually like i don't know i i I guess she's uh (laughs) She has a discrimination against sci-fi's production quality. Uh, still wants to watch this after watching one episode, which is uh, saying a lot because I- I've shown her many sci-fi shows, which she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, Jacob, you have read this? You haven't watched it, right? I've not watched it, but I've read all the comic. I mean, the most recent issue came out yesterday. Uh, I think issue 36. So it's been ongoing. And... This series is is very good. It's very nihilistic. It's very dark. It's very brooding in ways I think may turn off some people. Uh, but it is incredibly engrossing. The world building is exciting. The 80s aesthetic actually works in favor because it, at the favor of the story, it's not just you know window dressing because it's very much about the counterculture of the 80s, very much about a reaction to Reagan's America. It is this like in-your-face punk rock story that's essentially – if Harry, if Harry Potter had a mohawk and a machine gun, it would be deadly class. I really like the comic. I'm very intrigued, especially since Rick Remender, who writes the comic, is if he's, if he's not the showrunner, he's actively involved in the writer's room. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, even, I'm all for this being on the list. Anyone else? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, haven't, I, I, I have not watched this or read the comic, but I actually thought the trailer looked kind of cool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not against it. Yeah. Sure. Right. Deadly class. You're in our top 25. Okay. What I want to, what I want to nominate is one that feels like a genuine wild card. It has a Too Old to Die Young, which is coming to Amazon. And the list of people involved in this is kind of nuts. It is written and produced by Nicholas Winding Refn of Drive and... Uh, uh, and Only God guess, Forgives. Only God Forgives, thank you. Uh, and Neon and other, Demon. Neon Demon, <laughs> thank you, Chris. A, a filmmaker who I sometimes find frustrating, but I always find interesting. And it, and he's doing this with Ed Brubaker, the extremely celebrated uh, comic book writer behind uh, Criminal 
and uh, some, one of the most famous Captain America runs, Fatal, a bunch of comics that I adore with all my heart. Brubaker is very hard-boiled. He tends to have like tends to write tough guys very well. Tends to tends to write crime stories extremely well. So him, so it's sort of hard-boiled writer teaming up with someone as wild and surreal as Refn for a crime story starring Miles Teller, Billy Baldwin, Jenna Malone, and John Hawks, the great character actor John Hawks. And here is the synopsis. Too Old to Die Young follows a grieving police officer who, along with a man who shot his partner, finds himself in an underworld filled with working-class hitmen, accused of soldiers, cartel assassins sent from Mexico, Russian mafia captains, and gangs of kill- of teen killers. So that synopsis, paired with Brubaker and Refn, has me going, yeah, sign me up. When's it coming out? The answer is sometime this year. What do you guys think? Yes, uh, I am all in on this. I know a lot of people think uh, Refn is very pretentious and very smug, and he is. And I actually like that. I like that he just leans into being this very smug, pretentious guy when he makes his movies. And I know his films have a lot of detractors. Um, his, you know, Drive was like his... Uh, like never mind. It was like Nirvana's never mind. Then he came out with in utero next. Everyone was like, "What the hell is this?" But I lo- I like what he's done. I you know I love Drive, but I I also really like Only God Forgives, and I loved the Neon Demon, even though people think that movie is trash. But I tend to gravitate towards trash, so I I'm all in on this. I I am in for this one. Uh, I have a friend who worked um on the set of this show, and some of the things that he told me about it. Uh, got me really excited for it, and I'm not somebody who is absolutely in love with Refn as a filmmaker. I, I think he's a um, definitely a, an auteur, has a unique style. He's not for everybody, um, but the, what he was telling me about the, some of the things they shot and uh, basically what like some of the stuff that will happen in the show, I'm very excited to see how it turns out. So I, I would like it to be on the list for sure. HT Harbaugh crime drama on Amazon. What do you think? Yeah, I'm interested. I also kind of hit or miss on Refn, but I really like Drive, um, and I am intrigued enough by this series and the cast to, um, to, yeah, support its inclusion on the 25. Yeah, and I genuinely think that Ed Brubaker can balance out Refn in a way that can be really satisfying, because Brubaker is such a character-driven, you know, down-to-earth type writer, and Refn is so such a, a wild, fantastical nightmare dreamer that <laughs> I think that combination is wonderful. So, too old to die young brings brings in the top twenty five. We have sixteen on this list now, guys. As expected, this this process is going long, so we're going to extend this discussion to tomorrow's episode. So look forward to the second part of this on uh, the podcast tomorrow, and you can find out what the rest of the top twenty five TV shows that we are looking forward to for two thousand nineteen. Uh, you can find all, more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday on SlashFilm.com and all the uh, podcast apps of your choice, iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify. Uh, please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. You can write us and tell us why wasn't this show considered, but you're too late because we've already decided. But uh, you can do so even if you want to. Uh, please go rate and review, review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you with part two tomorrow.